What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. To the outside with room and into the end zone. Touchdown. So Deontay Foreman, in he goes. Well, it was kind of a slow and methodical and not all that interesting night. Unless you're a Carolina Panthers fan hoping to see the team do something after getting splattered in Cincinnati four days earlier. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio here, PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Good morning, Shereen. Nice to see you. Great to have you back. Peter King's not here today. For all you Peter King fans out there, and we know there are many of you, he will be joining us later live from Munich, assuming that the technology cooperates. Until then, you're stuck with Shireen and me. Shireen, good morning. How are you? Sorry about that. Stuck with me. But we'll see Peter soon. And me. From a long way away. I said both of us. I will see a lot of you. The Peter King fan club, which is out there, (laughs) they have to wait about 75 minutes, and they'll see and hear. Some Peter King. Yeah, I want to know what he's doing in Germany. I can't wait to uh, to hear. I've covered two of those games, Mike, and those international games are a lot of fun. It's almost like a playoff game. The atmosphere is just different. That's what I want to ask him. What's the atmosphere like in Germany? Interested to find that out. Three million ticket requests for the first regular season game ever played in Germany. So it is going to be something. And, you know, I've been talking about that, and I'm sure we'll get to it later in the program, Well, especially when Peter's on. But to the extent that it kind of feels like a Super Bowl, hell, that, that's advantage yeah. Tom Brady, who's played in a, a few of those, if I <laughs> recall correctly, over the years. All right. We, we are live on Peacock. We are live on Sirius XM85. And on Fridays, and I, I thought it was because of Peter – that the show was live on Friday, but even when, even when Peter's not here, show's still live on Friday. I really do think it's because they know Sims is a potty mouth. So the only day that the show is taken <laughs> live by Sky 
is on Fridays. But we are live. I checked Sky Sports NFL. Shireen, so watch your mouth. I know I have to be careful right, with you. I got it. I know. I know. I've seen it. I've heard it. So just try to try to control yourself for two hours, as will I. But uh, hello to everyone in the U.K. and in Ireland. And sorry you don't get a game this weekend. Sorry the NFL is giving a game to Germany. Germany's horning in on your territory. Don't get upset. It's not our decision. But London, London had three games this year. The fourth one would have been in London. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to cause trouble. But instead of having a fourth one in London, Germany got it. So take it up with Germany, London, if you don't like it. I'd like to know, Mike, too, how much – when I went to the London game, like there didn't seem the excitement from the locals, but now it's been several more years. Or Do they enjoy American football? Like where do the general population, I'd, I'd like to know where they stand and how many tickets like the locals buy, too. I don't think we've ever heard those numbers of how much the locals go to those games and enjoy those games. I, I, my guess is a big portion of the, the – Fans are from the U.S. who want to go over there, have a reason to go over there and vacation and see their team play. They did did have a record crowd. No, no, I'm saying they did have a record crowd at Wembley this year, like 86,000. And for a lot of those games, it's a bunch of different teams represented via the jerseys being worn by the folks who show up. So it's not like there's a cluster of Jaguars fans that jump in a plane and go over to London. But... I I don't – here's what I know. I know that from our own experience, the fans in England and Ireland and throughout the U.K., the NFL fans that are there are extremely passionate. They are. They're extremely knowledgeable. We have a a very loud, a very engaged, and a very loyal fan base there. And I think what it is – they get so little NFL content relative to what we're saturated with here that they, they consume it. They, they, and and I, I remember being that way when I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, you, you get the newspaper. Well, there's there's not much in the newspaper about the NFL. So you get Sports Illustrated or you get whatever other magazines. I remember getting sporting news just because it would have little capsules about all the teams. And then I discovered Pro Football Weekly. Oh, my gosh. Even though it was so outdated by the time you got it, at least it was something that gave you an idea of what was going on with the teams that you were paying the most attention to. Because the newspaper, unless you were a big fan of the one team that the local newspaper covered or two, depending upon where you are, you just didn't get much. And I have a feeling that's the same dynamic. They don't get as much as they want. So what they get, they're very, very passionate about. I just don't think there's enough people there yet that are following our brand of football to justify greater coverage. So, so they're stuck with us, and they like us, and that's probably and we the like reason you. why they, they, like, they spend time watching the show because they ain't got many other choices, especially right now. Sky Sports NFL, this is all you got. But uh, but I, I think it's oh, look it's it's clearly growing and it's working yeah and you don't need to have the whole country following the sport you know, look at the United States I mean I, I say this every year when the Super Bowl gets a hundred million viewers in the U S what what are the under one hundred and seventy two hundred million people doing like there's still a lot of people that aren't paying attention even to the biggest event of the year. But I think it's a 100-year plan to globalize the sport, 
The commissioner has talked about a division in Europe. And I would see two teams in London, maybe two teams in Germany, or one in Germany, one in Spain, one in wherever, one in France. I don't know. It's a long-term play. But they want to make it a global sport. And uh, the billionaires who own the teams become more and more richer. And the rest of us are enriched by the exportation of the sport to other countries, I guess. I don't know. There's still Americans that get upset about it. All right, let's get to last night's game. Folks in Atlanta upset about what happened. This is just an example. Because it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't like some weird finish that the Panthers won a game they shouldn't have won. This was just butt-kicking start to finish. The Falcons never could get anything going. The lesser team, supposedly, just showed up, Shireen, and kicked their butts. It was methodical. It was plotting. I don't know if the rain had something to do with it. You put a dome team outdoors in those elements. That used to be more of a thing in the NFL. You'd always hear that, oh, watch these dome teams when they have to go out to the elements. But there had to be some explanation for the fact that the Falcons last night just couldn't get going. Yeah, you know, Al Michaels made the comment there in the fourth quarter that I can't believe this is a one-score game. And I'm like, wow, it is a one-score game. And you couldn't because it did feel like the Panthers just dominated that game from start to finish. And the Falcons were, frankly, lucky to be in it there late. And they were in it there late. But, you know, I just think the home team, Mike, in these Thursday night games has such an advantage and I don't know what the numbers are this year with that, but it, it's just such an advantage not to have to go on the road and play after a Sunday game. Uh, and I think we saw it with the Panthers, and maybe the rain did help them uh, because they could run the ball, and they were, did run the ball much better than the Falcons ran the ball. So that was par- probably part of it too. But they did. You're exactly right, Mike. They dominated this game, and it felt like it should have been more uh, than 25-15. There was a time when you would hear grousing from coaches. I think Jim Harbaugh at one point complained about having to fly all the way across the country for a short week game. This was a fairly quick trip. It was It's such a short distance that Jake Matthews, the Falcons tackle, <laughs> yeah. was able to get in a Aggie car break. and drive back to Atlanta because, thank you, because his wife was giving birth. He couldn't get a flight, and then it dawned on him, it's only three hours, jumped in a car and drove back and then caught a ride with Arthur Blank on the way to the game and got there just in time. I mean, what a day that is for Jake Matthews. He, I, I was reading an article about it on the Falcons website. He had his phone off. The hotel phone rang, which who talks on the hotel phone anymore, but the hotel phone rang and he looked at his phone. He had 10 missed calls and his wife was in labor and the baby it was about four weeks early, so he had to get back to Atlanta. He had to make a decision first. Tough decision, personal decision. Could have gone either way. Decided to go back, went back, was there, made it back, played in the game. And the whole day worked out, except for the fact that the Falcons didn't win. And they just couldn't get their running game going. You know, and, and I, I don't want to give credence and legitimacy to the craziness that we saw on Monday when Jim Irsay decides to just basically pull a name out of a hat and make that person head coach of the team. But football is simpler than some make it. Whether those folks are in broadcasting, whether they're connected to teams, I think they want to create a mystique that kind of protects their turf. Like, this game's too complicated for you peasants to understand. It's really not 
that complicated. And this is a very simple truth. If you can't run the ball, you're screwed. Because instead of being in second and five or third and four, you're in second and 10 or third and 12, and then you have to pass. And if your quarterback isn't a great passer, and maybe he was the one most affected by the elements, Shireen, but it's that simple. If you can't push the line of scrimmage, if you aren't ripping off five, six, seven, eight yards in your running game like the Panthers were, you can't get it going. You can't sustain your offense, and you find yourself down by double digits. And yes, it is amazing to think it was 22 to 15 at one point at, in the fourth quarter, but even then, it never really felt like the the Falcons. It was the hell, it was 13 to 9 late in the third until Deontay Foreman's 12 yard touchdown run. I, I, but, but if you can't establish the running game. None of that other stuff matters. The passing game is the thing that just really opens up if you're getting the defense on its heels because you're gashing them with the run. And if they are shutting down the run, they're in a pretty good position to shut down the rest of the offense. And that's exactly exactly what happened to the Panthers on Sunday in Cincinnati. They couldn't handle Joe Mixon in the running game, so it was 35 nothing at halftime. But when you can put the clamps on the running game and they got the the three-headed monster and Mariota, they got four different guys who had more than 250 rushing yards on the team through nine games. When you can't get any of those guys going, you you, you don't have no chance, but you have a slim chance of, of turning things your way. It's so funny, Mike, when you said it's such a simple game. I had a big smile on my face. I just literally had this conversation a few days ago, and I said football is such a simple game. Like, you see coaches run a play that's very effective, and then you never see it again. Like, why? I'm going back to those Cowboys days when, you know, they knew Emmett Smith was coming, except from for the Eagles on fourth down, and, and you do it twice, it gets stopped. But other than that that play, uh, Zing. that's what the Cowboys did. They they dictated Barry exactly Switzer what the, Catching strays, as Miles exactly. would say. Sorry. <laughs> But you know exactly what they were going to do, and yet you couldn't stop it. And when you have a play that works, to me, you keep going back to that play until they prove that they can stop the play. Same thing with the running game. When you run the ball as effectively as what the Panthers did, you keep running the ball until they prove they can stop the run. And they didn't. And you talk about the run and how important it is to run. That's why the Buccaneers right now are struggling, period, end of story. They're 32nd in rushing. And unless they get better running the ball, Mike, they're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. They're not even a contender. They're a contender for that division. They may get in the playoffs, but they're not going to win a playoff game unless they figure out how to rush the ball better. And it goes back to their offensive line, obviously. But you've got to be able to run the ball. And and I just think it's a simple part of football. It's an important part of football. They don't value running backs because they think they can throw any running back out there. And, and a lot of teams can. You look at the 49ers until the trade for Christian McCaffrey, and you look what Foreman did, which, by the way, I can't believe that he hasn't gotten more offers with what he's done over his time in the NFL because I think he's a really good running back. Now he's on a one-year deal again. But I just think that you have to be able to run the football to win in football, to win consistently. The, the Colts were able to win a Super Bowl many years ago with a really bad running game. But overall, Mike, I just think you have to be able to run the football to win in the NFL. Still. I know how much that pained you 
to have to say something nice about a former Texas player in exactly. Dante Foreman. But he had a 2,000-yard season. He was a third-round pick of the Texans. It just yeah. didn't work out. And, and he kind of was in the process of washing out and bouncing around. And they told the story a little bit last night during the game. He had a conversation with his dad. His dad really tried to encourage him. His dad died in a in a vehicle accident after that. And then the call came last year after Derrick Henry suffered the foot injury against the Colts that nobody knew that he even had a foot injury. Remember that? It was the Monday after the game, and the Titans are riding high, and they just beat the Colts in this hard-fought game. It's like, what? Derrick Henry's out possibly for the rest of the year? Enter Deontay Foreman, and he was spectacular, and then the, the Titans didn't bring him back. And the Panthers brought him in, and I can remember Scott Fitter, the GM of the Panthers, raving about Foreman when I talked to him after the draft. This is a guy they were happy to get, and lo and behold, he becomes the workhorse now that Christian McCaffrey's gone. Chuba Hubbard's still injured, but 31 carries for Foreman, the most for a Carolina running back since Nick Goings had 36 attempts back in 2004. That's a name I haven't heard for a long, long time. I think he went to Pitt, but I could be wrong. 36 carries in 2004, 31 last night. Third 100-yard rushing game for Deontay Foreman since McCaffrey was traded. And the Panthers put 232 rushing yards in the books last night. And 108 passing yards from P.J. Walker, who was under... He connected on a long pass to Terrace Marshall once the Falcons were starting to show some life. And they gained more on that one play, like 43 yards, than P.J. Walker had the whole night before then. He was in the 30s, like 36. It's, but why pass it when you don't have to? If they, Like you said, if they're not stopping your running game, just keep running. So that's last night in a nutshell. One team couldn't run and couldn't stop the run, so you're done. That's it. Well, and it was opposite last week, Mike, when Carolina played Cincinnati. I mean, Foreman had seven carries for 23 yards, and they got behind. And so then you couldn't go to the run. You had to go to the pass to try to catch up. And so, But if you run it, and you run it well early, you're going to be in the game, and time of possession is so important, all those things. In the four games, Mike, since they traded Christian McCaffrey, they're 2-2. Two and two. Foreman has 79 carries, 389 yards and four touchdowns and I just again I just think he's a really good running back and I'm flabbergasted that the Texans gave up on him like they did after they made him a third round draft pick he had the injury his rookie year had the great run and then was injured in the end zone uh, on that play and and that kind of ruined his rookie year and then they didn't use him ever again and I'm like what you know what are they doing they're the Texans he's he's a pretty good running back and they just didn't use him and then he went to the Titans and filled in admirably when when Derrick Henry had his injury and now here he is with the Panthers and on this one year two million dollar deal and he'll be a free agent in 2023 and the way he's running Mike he's you know they don't pay running backs a ton of money but I think somebody's gonna have to pay him a little bit money of money uh to get him as a running back I just think he's a good running back he's a solid running back he's big he can take up to the pounding those 31 carries are not going to affect him. Now they have extra time, I understand, but I just think he can hold up to that. He can be your every down, every down back, and I think he can hold up to those 31 carries game after game if that's what you want to do. He's getting older as running backs go, but at the same time, he doesn't have as much wear and tear yeah. as a guy who would have entered the league the same year, like a Dalvin Cook, who was a second-round pick in 2017. 
he's got a lot of uh, a lot of usage over the years, but Foreman relatively fresh in comparison, and the guy just gets it done. I think the temptation is to pluck one of these guys from one of the various college programs throughout the country. Every one of them, every one of them has a guy that can move the chains at the NFL level. If you block for him, if you trust him to hold on to the football, and if you can put faith in him to help out in pass protection, those are the three keys. But there are guys cheap that you can get late in the draft or completely and totally undrafted, and they can come in and get it done. I mean, look at what Pittsburgh's dealing with right now. Their first rounder from last year, Najee Harris, is disappointing at 3.3 yards per carry. Undrafted Jalen Warren, 5.3 yards per carry, and he's going to get more opportunities this week. And And I, I think that, that that hurts an older guy, no matter what he's done, because they're always concerned the wheels are going to come off and the older a running back gets, the, the greater the chance that's potentially going to happen. Marcus Mariota had a night that we don't see from him very often. He had one of those nights where he just tried to do too much and he went beyond the limits of his physical abilities. The meme that was instantly created was him while on the ground making a throw. That was the low light for the evening. Fortunately for him, he was on the ground, so the throw that resulted in an interception didn't count. But, you know... Look, they, they got lucky in that they were able to get value from Matt Ryan, who has been a major disappointment for the Colts and either isn't going to play again this year or is going to play again this year. He's back at practice. Who the hell knows if they're going to turn back to Matt Ryan at some point. Right now, they're so desperate. Jim Mercer is so desperate. I don't rule out anything. But you got Mariota and you drafted Desmond Ritter. Let's hear from Arthur Smith on the question of whether or not he considered yanking Mariota for Desmond Ritter last night. Trying another game, Josh. Got the ball back, the chance to go win it or tie it at the end. Our guys keep swinging. Mike, I know those are the, the popular narratives uh, right out there. Those are the easy questions to ask. As a whole football team, we got to do a better job. Start with myself. So we look every week to make sure that we got the right, right guys in the right spots. And um, like I said, we gotta we gotta protect better. We gotta play the run better. You know, Chicago's gonna come in here and try to run it 500 times, and so we got a lot of work ahead of us. So just to be clear, you can say Marcus. Mike, look, guys, you can make it about the quarterback. How about about the team? So we we had an opportunity at the end of the, end of the fourth quarter of the last two weeks, and uh, for a lot of different ways in a lot of different phases, Mike, we're, we gotta get better. The reality is the quarterback gets excessive credit when it goes well and excessive blame when it doesn't go well. And when the quarterback has moments like the ones we saw last night, I mean, he's the guy who touches the ball on every play. If he's having a bad night, it's far more noticeable than most other positions. And he was having a bad night. And they've got Desmond Ritter. Now, that doesn't mean Ritter is even close to being ready. It was a quarterback class that... There wasn't a whole lot of excitement about Kenny Pickett has struggled. Malik Willis is still a work in progress for the Titans. So I don't know that throwing Ritter into the fray, Shireen, is really going to help. But, you know, at some point, and, and I don't know that I buy the idea that just because the game's close, you stick with the quarterback that is playing because it shouldn't be close. The Falcons were favored to win the game. The Falcons are the better team. And it, it if it's not working... And if it's noticeable that the quarterback is just off, and maybe it was the rain, who knows? Who knows? But it, it, he just wasn't there. He wasn't 
crisp, you have to be willing to at least consider it. And it sounds like Arthur Smith was giving it no thought whatsoever. Here's the problem for the Falcons, and maybe it's a good problem. Maybe you look at it as a good problem. I don't know. But this team isn't a contender. They're, they're not going to win a playoff game. But they have a legitimate shot to get to the playoffs. And Marcus Mariota provides them the best opportunity to do that. And you're trying to win now. I get it. And he's the best quarterback for this situation now. But again, Mike, this is not a team that's going to get to the postseason and do anything. If they get there, they're going to lose at home in a first-round game because the wildcard teams are much better than they are. But at some point, you got to start thinking about your future. And I looked at both of these teams, and I'm not sure which one I think has a better future. The Falcons have more talent on offense. The Panthers have more young talent on defense. I think if you put these both teams together, you'd be a quarterback away from having a really good football team. But I, don't, I think I probably would rather have the Panthers in their future than the Falcons in their future because they're going to get a new head coach. They're going to get a new quarterback. Uh, and it's not going to be Desmond Ritter. It's not going to be somebody you haven't seen and don't know anything about. Well, it is going to be that. But it's, it's not going to be a guy that sat on the bench for a year and you don't know what you have in him. You're going to have a pick to go draft a quarterback or find a quarterback at free agency or trade for a quarterback, however that works out. But this could be a really good Panthers team next year if they can get that quarterback. It is about the quarterback. I don't care what Arthur Smith says. It is about the quarterback. If the Falcons had a good quarterback, they probably would be leading that division right now instead of half game behind the Buccaneers. And the problem for the Panthers is that these wins that they're racking no, up in yes, the division, exactly. they're 3-1 three, three and one in the division, 0-6 oh out of the division. Those wins are going to complicate the effort to get the best possible incoming quarterback. And you know what? The other issue with the Panthers, and we may as well bookend Monday, we saw yeah. what played out when you have an owner who interjects himself into the operation of the team excessively and screws everything up. I would say David Tepper and Jim Irsay don't have a lot in common on the surface. One guy earned his money. One guy was given everything. One guy speaks well, not all that charming, but speaks well extemporaneously. The other guy, who the hell knows what he's saying. But at the core, the problem is they are both two hands on. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. There's a sweet spot for owners to fall in. You 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 want to be present. Just merely just merely being there in the building. Make the team facility your primary office you're there it, it just adds something sims and i have talked about this when uh, sims said you know when he was playing in tampa when ownership's there it's different when when he was working for the patriots when mr crafts in the building it's a different feeling so you're there but you're not doing too much you're trusting the people you've hired to do the job of running the team because they're the experts and you're not you're there for support you're there on on those moments where there is need for a big decision to be made. You can be a sounding board and they can make sure that you're on board with it, but you don't want to try to do too much. And Shireen, the problem with the Panthers is I feel like David Tepper, who has been wildly successful through his own creativity, resourcefulness, and raw hard work, thinks he can just turn those qualities to a football team. And through the sheer force of the will that made him $17 billion can 
make all the right moves to will his team to be good. And the harder he tries, you know, he's, 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 he's squeezing a handful of jello and the jello is going everywhere. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm gently going to disagree with your take, although I'd say the roster right now is set up well. The impediment for it to becoming the best roster it can possibly be and become a perennial contender is, the, I, ironically, coincidentally, whatever, it's the guy who wants that team so badly to be great, the owner of the team. Yeah, and, and it's a great point, Mike. I just went more on the talent. I think I would take the pen. I love their defensive talent. I think it's very good. No, I think they have I, I agree with you. I agree with you. That team. I, yeah, it's a good conversation. No, you, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you. They, they, they're going to reach a limit. There's, there's yeah. going to be a point where they can't get any farther because the owner is trying his damnedest to push them farther instead of just letting it all play out. Yeah, and it's it's a legitimate point. It's a great point. Maybe he finds that sweet spot. Maybe he hires. A coach, it's not going to be Sean Payton. There's no way possible the Saints let Sean Payton trade Sean Payton to to the Panthers. But maybe they get a coach like that who says, a big-name coach who says, look, I'm you're going to have to step back, take a step back, like Bill Parcells did when he came to Dallas with Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones did take a step back and let Bill Parcells run things when he was in Dallas. And maybe that's what it takes. Maybe it takes that type of coach, bring that type of coach in, and the coach to have that ability to say, look, you just need to get out of my way right now and and we'll do this and we'll do it together. But you've got to get out of the way and, and let me do my thing. And and so if he does that, th- this team has a legitimate chance to, to win and win in a hurry if they get the right coach and the right quarterback and, he, and the owner takes a step back. If he doesn't, you're right. There's going to be a ceiling to how far they go. We've seen it. So much easier said than done, though for the multi-billionaire who is not used to being told anything that that multi-billionaire doesn't want to hear. Because once Parcells was gone in Dallas, Jerry never took a step back again. Although they're they're kind of like trying to finesse him now, Stephen and others to, you know, to not be as involved. But, you know, Jimmy Haslam, a prime example, guy in Cleveland that that is involved more than he should be. And it can scare away good coaches. I think David Tepper is one of the reasons why, even if the Saints would trade the rights, it's essentially a trade of the contractual rights of Sean Payton to Carolina. I don't know that Sean Payton would want to work with David Tepper because I don't know that he would right. trust Tepper to leave him alone. Remember the year that Daniel Snyder decided he was going to take a step back? This was early in his ownership of the Washington franchise. Hired Marty Schottenheimer, gave him the keys, got out of the way, cleared out Vinny Serrato, who was the right-hand man for Snyder in those early years, and Snyder couldn't help himself. After one year, he fired Marty Schottenheimer and paid out like $20 million over four years on the back end, which was top of the market at the time because he just couldn't, he couldn't help himself. And that, that's the problem. So you, you, we, we've, we've learned a lot about that this week in two different contexts. The Colts more notoriously and obviously, but it's more subtle but still unmistakable with the Carolina Panthers. And credit to Arthur Blank, I mean – He's he's owned that team 20 years now, and yeah, they had a Super Bowl in hand, and uh, he, he supports and, and gets out of the way and lets his football people make football decisions. But I think he does like to be involved. I mean, at the end of the day, it is your team. I'm not saying that somebody who has paid all that money and and actually is the one 
who owns the equity in the team should do nothing, but it's it's just a tough balance. And that's what's going to keep the Panthers, I think, from getting to where they they need to be. What's the deal with Kyle Pitts? Two catches, 28 yards on eight targets. When you got a 25% catch rate on that many targets, there really is a disconnect between Mariota and Pitts. That can be the only explanation for it. This was going to be the big breakout for him this year, and it's been a big bust, Shireen. It has, and and you saw him make that one great catch when he leaped up in the air, and I'm like, why wouldn't you throw it to Kyle Pitts more and let him make some of those catches because he's fully capable of it? They have two great weapons on that team, and I realize we had the weather. I understand all that, but still, you've got to get the ball to Kyle Pitts. You've got to get the ball to Drake London. Those are your two big targets. Those are the guys that can make the plays for you and turn games around. And I just don't think that Mariota did that enough last night. We saw it in the end zone with Drake London. He made the, the, the catch in the back of the end zone for the touchdown. But there wasn't enough of that last night, Mike, to get those two guys involved. That's their best weapons. Mariota is just such a confounding figure. He's been around since 2015. He and Jameis Winston were the can't-miss top prospects, one and two in the draft. Neither guy ever really became what they were both expected to be. They're still around. Mariota's playing. Winston's on the bench. Winston can't get on the field in New Orleans. And it's just, you know, they're good enough to still be in the league, but they're not good enough to thrive. They're not good enough to be the guys that they were supposed to be. And I I respect a guy who just keeps persevering, even when it doesn't work out the way that it was supposed to. But he's at the point where he just is who he is. And how long will that keep him as a starter? How long will that keep him as a backup? I think as long as he's got that mobility, he'll have a career as a backup. But... This, this, to the extent that this year is an audition for him to be a starter for the balance of his career, he's not passing, literally and figuratively. Yeah, there's three quarterbacks, Mike, on those two teams that we saw last night that you wonder what their futures are. Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, and Sam Darnold, all three of those guys, I wonder what the future holds for them. I think Mariota's proved that he can be a solid backup in this league but he's not a starter, you know, 12 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 10 games this season. He's been okay. He hasn't been terrible aside from when he was sacked and tried to throw the ball from his back, but he has not been terrible overall this season. He just kind of been okay. Can you win with okay? You know, maybe, uh, maybe they win the division with okay with Marcus Mariota, but are you going to win a Super Bowl with Marcus Mariota? I don't think so. I, I think he's a backup, and I think after the season he'll be a backup, whether it's in Atlanta or somewhere else. And the question for Darnold and Mayfield, will they accept that? Yeah. Will they humble themselves? Ba- uh, Baker Mayfield's done a great job this year of not being a problem, not being an issue. Now, maybe he's biting his tongue the whole time, but he has been a model citizen after being a pain in the butt in Cleveland for several years. There he is, headbutting. Hey, hey, Baker, uh, I would only do that with a helmet on. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, he's supporting the team. He's doing what he has to do. He's not grousing. He's not complaining. He's not leaking stories from sources close to the situation saying that Mayfield's upset and he's better than P.J. Walker and he's not getting a fair shake. And maybe he's just maturing, Shireen, but... 
that maturity is going to be tested if next year he doesn't get an offer to go somewhere and be a starter or his best play will be a Mitch Trubisky type deal. And there's a guy like this every year. Oh, hey, come on in on a two-year contract. It pays you really good backup money. You're our guy. Oh, wait, uh, sorry about that. Yeah, we drafted a guy in round one. Yeah, we drafted a guy in round one. So you're our guy until the guy we just drafted is ready. Baker Mayfield of a couple years ago wouldn't stand for it. You know, you get to a point where you realize either I want to still be in the NFL or I don't. And sometimes if you want to be in the NFL, you got to accept the terms that are available. And it it may be that's the best deal he's going to find when March rolls around. Yeah, and and I was impressed with both of those guys. We we saw uh, Baker Mayfield congratulating his teammates. Sam Darnold did the same thing. He wasn't dressed out. He is on the 53-player roster. Why they elevated him to the 53-player roster and then didn't dress him, I don't know. I thought that might have been their intent, but they didn't do that. So I guess they had to because he was practicing. But um, it will be interesting going forward if they dress Sam Darnold and then Baker Mayfield's the number three quarterback, Mike, how he handles that. Maybe he handles that a little differently than what we've seen over the past few weeks with him being the number two quarterback. Uh, But, yeah, I I don't know what his future is. I don't know if he's going to accept being a backup uh, somewhere. And like you said, somebody might sign him as a bridge quarterback, but I don't even know how he's going to handle that knowing that he's grooming a young guy to take his place eventually. Cause you know, he thinks that he deserves another opportunity to be a starter somewhere. And I really don't think in his defense, I don't think he got a fair opportunity this year simply because he got to Carolina so late. It's difficult to learn a new offense, learn your teammates, what they like in the short amount of time that he had. Maybe it would have worked out if he had gotten there for the whole off-season program, but it didn't, so now he is where he is. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, but if I were him, I just would have stayed in Cleveland, taken my $19.9 million this year. It was 18.8 with 16 games. The 17-game check made it 19.9, nearly $20 million, and say to Cleveland, deal with me. I'm here. I'm here. I'll be the backup. I'll do whatever. I'm here. My money's guaranteed. If you want to cut me, fine. I'll sit out a year. It didn't hurt Deshaun Watson to sit out a year. And if anything, this year that he's experienced makes him have less cachet, less sizzle, less attractiveness to teams that are going to be looking for guys on the open market. Better to go in not being on a team at all or not playing at all than having this year where people are like, does he just not have it? And uh, there's a chance that maybe he just doesn't at a high enough level. Let's take a break. When we return, the latest on the best quarterback, or at least one of the best two right now in the NFL, Josh Allen. Will he play? Won't he play on Sunday due to that elbow injury? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to PFT Live. Josh Allen, Bills quarterback, did not practice again on Thursday. 
He continues to deal with a sprained ulnar collateral ligament in his right elbow. He was seen at practice wearing a sleeve on his right arm. Case Keenum would get the start if Allen can't play. Bills receiver Stephon Diggs talked on Thursday about his confidence in the Buffalo backup quarterback. I mean, even with in Minnesota, like, uh, when I do date back and date back to the time that we had, he's a winner. You know what I'm saying? He's a dog. People don't, I mean, Case is a, is a, a professional and all those good things, but when he gets out there, he's still competing at a high level, and he gives you that confidence that you can win, whether it's with his arm or whether he improv and making things happen. So uh, I have complete confidence in him. I've seen it in action. You know what I'm saying? I remember, I remember it clear as day when we had a quarterback go down and Case Keenum had to play, and maybe maybe then I was a little, I was a young player then, so maybe then I was a little, if you asked me that question, then I probably could have said maybe 70, 60%. But uh, at this point, uh, I've seen him do it. And I've seen him have success, and I've seen him play well. So to me, like, I know I know it, uh, whoever's out there, I trust him. You know I just got to do my job. Stephon Diggs lived it in 2017. That was the year that the Vikings, right out of the gates, Monday Night Football, dismantled the New Orleans Saints. It was Adrian Peterson's first game with a team other than the Vikings. Sam Bradford was the quarterback. Everything clicked. Everything worked. And then the Wednesday of that week, Bradford didn't practice because of a knee injury. And I remember writing something about that. And the Vikings fans had the the swords out. Oh, you're making something out of nothing. Oh, you're trying to create hype. You're 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 the fake news. Those were back in the early days of fake news. 2017. Yeah. And Sam Bradford never played again. Uh, He had a knee injury, and Case Keenum entered that weekend. They went to Pittsburgh. It did not go well. And then after that, it went incredibly well. The Vikings were one of the best teams in the conference, one of the best teams in the league that season because of Case Keenum. And what Case Keenum brought to the table was the ability to move laterally, reset, look down the field, nobody's open, move laterally again until somebody got open. And it drove the Vikings coaching staff at the time crazy because they wanted him to hang in the pocket a little bit longer because they were convinced if he stayed in the pocket just a little bit longer, somebody would have been open. They didn't like all that running, so they go get a guy who stays in the pocket and can't run, and the rest is history so far with Kirk Cousins. So that's what's amazing about this. They could have kept Case Keenum for a lot less money than they paid to Kirk Cousins, but they didn't want Keenum. They didn't want Bradford. They didn't want Teddy Bridgewater. They all left. They had three free agent quarterbacks at the same time. Enter Kirk Cousins. Two years later, when Cousins gets an extension, that's when Stephon Diggs coincidentally tweets his way out of Minnesota. And I know everybody tries to make it sound like it had nothing to do with it, that that, that it wasn't about Stephon Diggs not wanting to play with Kirk Cousins. Baloney. Diggs didn't want to play. I don't care what anybody says publicly because, you know, they got to be careful, got to put on a good face. And nobody wants to say anything. Diggs didn't want to play with Cousins anymore. That's why he's in Buffalo. And that's all going to come together on Sunday. And it makes it even, look, I want Josh Allen to play. I want the best players in the NFL to always play. It elevates the games. It elevates the sport. But if he doesn't, what a story, Shireen. Case Keenum and Stephon Diggs, the bizarro Minneapolis miracle taking on the Vikings in Buffalo with a pretty good team around them. Yeah, and, and let's fast forward, Mike, to, to this year. I was stunned when the Browns traded Case Keenum, and I realized it was a lot about the contract. But when you know you're not going to have Deshaun Watson for part of the year, I would want Case Keenum as my quarterback. And to me, that's something really good that the Bills have taken into account, and a lot of teams don't, is – 
well, we got the starting quarterback. We don't need to worry about that backup quarterback. The Bills have always said, let's go out and find the best backup quarterback that we can possibly have. Hopefully he never has to play. But if he does, we feel like we're in good shape with our our backup quarterback for the short term. And I think they are. I think they went out and found the best possible backup that they could get for Josh Allen. And I'm with you. I hope Josh Allen plays. He missed four games as a rookie with a similar injury to his elbow. I don't think he plays this week. I don't think he's out four games, but I don't think he plays this week, which is going to be a great thing for Case Keenum to go go have a chance to go back and beat the Vikings, who could have had Case Keenum as their starting quarterback. I just think it's a great story if it happens. Um, and, And I think they'll have a chance with Case Keenum, Mike. Well, and look, this is what makes the great teams truly great. The plan they have in place to get through a brief stretch, if need be, with a backup quarterback. Three years ago, the year the Chiefs ended up winning the Super Bowl, Matt Moore held it together for them, beating the Vikings in Kansas City along the way to, to just do enough to not screw everything up. That's what this... This situation is for Case Keenum. Just do enough to not screw everything up if it is a short-term absence. And I just don't think Josh Allen's going to play. The key for me was the betting line moving from Buffalo minus 9.5 to Buffalo minus 3.5. If there truly was uncertainty about Allen playing, it would be off the board. The fact that it moved that far tells me that there's confidence among those who set the lines that it's going to be Keenum, not Allen, playing on Sunday. And I think that's what's going to happen. Now, the Diggs trade we mentioned it earlier Kirk Cousins had some things to say about it or more accurately was asked questions about it here he is from earlier in the week in his Wednesday press conference discussing the trade that sent Diggs to Buffalo you know one that's worked out for everybody involved I think Stefan um, you know felt that you know he he was wanting a a different opportunity and um, I think his you know production in Buffalo would suggest that that's worked out very well for him and uh, it was tough to lose him, um, but when you're able to go get Justin, you know, which is not easy to do. I mean, when you lose Stefan without the guarantee of replacing that, it's hard. But um, being able to get Justin sort of made it sting a little less, if you will, with the way Justin's played. But uh, make no mistake about it, you know, Stefan is an elite receiver. He's shown that here. He's shown that there. And he's doing it again this year. And, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me in the least. I haven't played with him. I think the key too. Now, look, they—they, they, we, we just assume now that if you, you go out and draft, um, a receiver in round one, he's going to work out. The, he was taken after Jalen Rigger, who's now his teammate because it didn't work for Rigger in Philadelphia. There's no guarantee that anyone who's drafted is going to pan out. And when you take a receiver in round one, right after trading away a great receiver, that puts a lot of pressure on the guy who comes in. And I give Justin Jefferson even more credit for not flinching. I mean, he walks through the door just as Diggs leaves, and he has 1,400 yards as a rookie. It's amazing. 1,600 last year, and so far this year, he's got nearly 900. And so he's become the go-to guy, and it had, that, that, does, that does help. It works. And, you know, the real question I have, Shereen, whatever it was that caused Diggs to, to not feel on the same page with Kirk 
and to want that different opportunity. Because why would you want a different opportunity if everything's, everything's great? You got your long-term contract. You're beloved in Minnesota after Minneapolis Miracle. You get to stay there your whole career and you know never pay for a meal, never pay for a drink, have a career in media locally or nationally as the all-time great Vikings receiver, maybe other than Randy Moss, but still, I mean, a very engaging guy. Like, why? what forced him out? And hopefully Cousins has looked inwardly and changed himself. And we see the stuff with the chains on the plane. And I, maybe it's as simple as the coaching change has caused Cousins to 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 adjust in a way that, that won't run off Justin Jefferson. I mean, that's the key. And I there were some things said last year by Jefferson late in the year that made me think, uh-oh, he's going to want out too. I don't feel that way this year. And maybe, maybe the coaching had something to do with it. And maybe the coaching created just of enough just enough tension between quarterback and receiver that that made it fall apart but something it was a great situation for Diggs. yeah something made it fall apart and it's not like he swapped out minnesota for miami he still went to another cold weather city <laughs> that doesn't have a dome yeah two two points mike and, and you talk about maybe it's the coach we're not talking enough about kevin o'connell as a coach of the year candidate we talk a lot about mike mcdaniel and uh, in his first year as a as a head coach. But I just think Kevin O'Connell's kind of been overlooked for what he's done with that team. And maybe that is part of what's transpired with Kirk Cousins and, and with Justin Jefferson and with that entire team and then with them being where they are at seven and one. You look up and they're seven and one and, and it it doesn't feel like seven. Oh my gosh, I forget the Vikings are seven and one, but they are. And I think Kevin O'Connell has been a big reason why they're seven and one. And then back to the trade, you, you pointed out it doesn't always work out like that in the first rounder. The Vikings traded Randy Moss to the Raiders in 2004. Do you remember who the Vikings drafted? Oh. I know you do. Oh. Drafted that I year do. with a, I think it was the fifth overall pick, Troy Williamson, and it didn't work out for them. This is the first trade since at least 1994 when you've had a player traded for a first round draft pick that both players have gone on whoever they drafted with that first-round draft pick, to have multiple Pro Bowls. This was a win-win for both teams, and it has worked out great. And you're right. Now it's up to the Vikings to make Justin Jefferson happy, to give him that big contract and make him want to stay in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins. And, and there will be emotion. There will be fire. We saw it from Diggs. The night that they hosted the Packers, uh, we didn't see as much of it last week when they inexplicably face planted against the Jets. But I think Diggs will be locked in. Jefferson, but this is this is one of the best games of the day that is yeah. kind of tucked into the cluster of contests at one o'clock Eastern on Sunday. The big late afternoon game features a renewal of one of the great rivalries in all of football, your Dallas Cowboys, Shireen, go back to Lambeau Field, site of the Ice Bowl and plenty of other great games. Des caught it in the postseason seven years or so ago. It would have even more sizzle if the Packers weren't three and six and riding a five-game losing streak. I mean, that's amazing. They were three and one with no indication that things were going to fall apart, fall apart they have. But Mike McCarthy's coming home either way to a place where they – named a street after him, to a place where they unceremoniously fired him with games left in the 2018 season. Here's McCarthy getting emotional about his return to Green Bay. Green Bay wasn't just a place you coached. It's very much you know, where you lived. And Jessica, a special place for her, your kids. What about the area 
do you and as a family, as a unit? This, no, this is bullshit. You guys trying to make me cry. Why don't you ask me a question about 12 personnel or something? <laughs> yeah. Would I miss most? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Um, I think it's like anything. The people. And um, that's why I think it's been such a great transition for our family. Because our, our kids, um, you know, were obviously born there, raised there. But to come here in this experience, because I mean, I mean, a lifestyle in Dallas, Texas is incredible. I mean, this has been an incredible, incredible opportunity for us as a family. But, you know, uh, Jessica was born there. Kids were born there. <laughs> so people, Mr. People. You know, I I'm a student of human behavior and demeanor. Now, I may get an F in the class, but I'm still a student. They haven't kicked me out yet. But. When he grabs for the drink and takes a drink at the start of the question, that is the, for lack of a better phrase, oh, crap, here it's coming move. Like, the moment the question starts, he knows this is going to take him down a path he doesn't want to go. So the reflex is grab your cup and take a drink. Grab something to just, like, hear it. Just like, I've done it before. I've seen it before, but that when as soon as I saw him do that, that's the move that you make when you're like, oh, crap, here comes that thing that I really would rather not have to deal with. And he dealt with it well, and it just shows you that, you know, it's, uh, football is rough and tumble, and you have to have a hard exterior, and you know you're going to get fired at some point. You either haven't been fired or you will be fired. Very few get to do anything on their own terms. And uh, we, we saw a human moment. We, we don't see enough of those true human moments that, that peel back the facade that, football players and coaches feel compelled to carry around all the time. Yeah. He was with the Packers nearly 13 years, Mike. There's some fond memories there. And I, you know, I think you heard from Aaron Rodgers that that relationship did not end well. His time in green Bay, Mike McCarthy's did not end well, but when you're where the Packers are this year, I think you look back probably on some of those memories a little more fondly than you would if you were sitting here, at seven and one and thinking you're going to compete for a championship. I think they long for those days when Mike McCarthy was there and helping them win a Super Bowl, their most recent Super Bowl. Um, and they're not there this year. So first five game losing streak since 2008. But I'll say this about Mike McCarthy, Mike, I've seen a change in him as they've won games, as they have become a contender, which they didn't start out like that. in that loss to Tampa Bay, I don't see Mike McCarthy looking over his shoulder anymore. He appears loose. He appears human, as you said. You, everything that, that you want in a coach when he goes to those press conferences, that's what I'm seeing right now in Mike McCarthy. And I just see a guy who's not tense, who, who doesn't think about his future. Oh, my gosh, I, I've got to win this year. I'm going to get fired. And we stopped talking about, is Mike McCarthy going to get fired and, and when, I, when they went into this season, I said, he's probably got to get to the NFC Championship game for him not to get fired. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the Cowboys look at this and say, we have a contender. We have a long-term contender here. Even if we don't get it done this year, if they go out and lose in the wild card round, I still think that Mike McCarthy will be their head coach next year. I think just it's changed this year with the way they've played, with what they've seen. I think realistically he's going to be the head coach there next year. But the reason it all started 
the reason that it was tenuous, the reason he was looking over his shoulder, he wasn't looking over his shoulder at Dan Quinn with his hat on backward. He was looking over his shoulder at Sean Payton coming full steam ahead. The guy that Jerry Jones tried to hire in early 2019, even though he had a coach in Jason Garrett at the time, the guy that has been linked to the Cowboys forever. If he's ever going to leave the Saints, he's going to the Cowboys. There has been, I think, some air out of that balloon. We expect Peyton to coach again as soon as next year. I still think there's a chance that when the jobs open up, there's not going to be one that he really wants. We'll see. But that that is, and it helps. And I think at a certain point, McCarthy has done enough with this team that his attitude can be, hey, if Jerry's crazy enough to fire me, I'll go coach the Panthers. A couple of Pittsburgh guys, David Tepper and Mike McCarthy. And I would say if McCarthy did get fired, Tepper would be one of the first people to call him. So I think that, that uh, and you know, Sheree, we know how this works. There are plenty of backroom conversations. There are plenty of discussions through intermediaries. It's entirely possible that McCarthy already knows if he gets fired by the Cowboys, Tepper wants him because Tepper isn't going to let it go. Tepper's not going to respect the tampering rules just because Stephen Ross was dumb enough to get nailed. Tepper will do it in a way that is entirely untraceable burner phones and stuff, although I don't know that it goes that far. But I... That, that that goes a long way toward Mike, making Mike McCarthy feel pretty damn comfortable. If I'm getting fired, yeah. I know David Tepper wants me. Or and if not him, somebody else will. And and that's the thing. He's done well enough that it's not like we're looking at him and saying, like Josh McDaniels right now, second time coaching a team. Oh, he's just he's, he's done. Nobody's going to want him again. No, nobody's, nobody's saying that about McCarthy. So I agree with you. There, there, there is a looseness. There's a confidence. And and he's not worried about whatever may happen, even if whatever may happen does happen. Uh, and I still look, it's easy to say it now as the season's going well. But if they would lose in the wild card round and, and look ugly in the process, and it's just one of those days like it was for the Falcons last night, it you know, and there's some weird coaching failure at the end, like we saw last year with that that effort to run the draw play and they neglected to remember that there's a referee that may be in the way and needs to get through to set the ball, something like that that can be blamed on McCarthy. I think it could all change that, that sudden end of your season. If it can be pinned on the coach, the vibe could change quickly. It could. That's entirely possible. They're probably going to end up at that NFC South site. Whoever that team is going to be, I would expect that the Cowboys would be the team to go in there and play so they'll have a great chance to win that game and probably be favored to win that game and if they would lose that game say to the bucks they lose to the bucks again start the season with the loss of the bucks and end the season with the loss to a bucks yeah absolutely things things could change but as it stands right now the cowboys are rolling and and uh and, and you're right i think this has proved to other teams as well they look and and see and say mike mccarthy can still coach you know, maybe there was some doubt until this year, but there's no doubt now. He can still coach, uh, and, and he's got a good team that has a legitimate chance to win a Super Bowl. I mean, think about that. I hate to do the if the season ended today thing, but Cowboys at Bucks, Giants at Seahawks, whoever gets in last to the Vikings, two or three of the home teams could have their hands full in the wild card round in the NFC. 
the Cowboys may have an ace in the hole, and that's an OBJ who could be joining the roster. The push continues. They're showing him the love. That's the key ingredient to get Odell Beckham Jr. Here's Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb from yesterday talking about the possibility of Odell Beckham joining the Cowboys. Uh, I mean, yeah, anytime you have a chance to add a talent like that and knowing Odell, knowing his resume, um, it's exciting. But I understand it's also a business, and there's, I'm sure, 31 other teams that would like to add him as well. Oh, that's my boy. Um, I'm a fan of Odell for sure. Um, I feel like here, why, why wouldn't you want to add you know, more firepower to this offense? Yeah, look, they're, they're quietly, but consist not quietly, they're loudly and consistently just putting together the names and the voices, Ezekiel Elliott, Micah Parsons, Jerry Jones. They're, they're getting ready to make their play. And Jake Glazer reported on Sunday that Beckham will be fully cleared by the end of the week. Here we are at the end of the week. And the land rush is going to begin, Shireen. And, you know, from Beckham's standpoint, I, don't, I would still wait another week or two. Just see how it plays out through Thanksgiving. Let's see. Let's see where everyone is. You're picking the horse while the race is being run. Let it go a couple more lengths. Is that the proper term? I'm, I'm, learning, I'm learning all my horse racing terms from this stupid OBJ metaphor. But the bottom line is, just like last year, he picked the right horse during the race. He gets a chance to do it again this year. Yeah, he does, Mike. And, and that's unusual for furlong? a player to get to What's do a that. furlong? What's a furlong? That's a, furlong? a horse racing term. Yeah. I'm thinking of any horse racing terms that come to mind, but I'm sorry to interrupt you. Furlong? <laughs> That's all right. This, this would be way out of character for the Cowboys to do this. The last big money free agent they signed was Brandon Carr, and that was back in 2012. First day of free agency, I was camped out outside at the AT&T Stadium waiting to see Brandon Carr uh, come out of the stadium. But five-year, $50.1 million deal. That's the last one. The last big name that created a buzz and perhaps more for what he did off the field than on the field was Greg Hardy in 2015. They gave him a one-year $11.3 million contract. They just don't do this anymore. They don't bring in guys outside, big money, big name guys. I mean, they signed James Washington in the offseason who still hasn't come back after foot surgery in August. But they just don't do that anymore. They, they draft really well. They sign those guys to second and third contracts. And they build around the draft, and then they get those low-end free agents to come in and fill in. So this would be different for them to do this. Do I think they need to do this? Absolutely, I think they need to do this. And I think they need to do this because they traded Amari Cooper to the Browns for next to nothing in the offseason. I think they need another weapon. I know James Washington's coming back. That's fine. If you add Amari Cooper to that receiving core, I just think it makes you better, Mike. And I think they're going to need those receivers in the postseason to make some plays with Dak Prescott. They can run the ball well, but they need a better passing game to win in the postseason like they have a chance to do. When you're talking about this kind of sizzle, though, I don't know how much money it's going to take to get him. Sims has been saying, and others have now been reporting, that Beckham wants more than just something that carries him through the end of the season. He wants a multi-year deal. But when you're talking about the sizzle, I go all the way back to Deion Sanders. The last time they've done something like this where you go out and get an established name who brings in that cachet and who creates, think about the lift he's going to create. Oh, and he played in AT&T Stadium a couple of years ago for the Browns and had three touchdowns that day, not long before he tore the ACL for the first time against the Cincinnati Bengals. So that's why the Cowboys want to catch the Eagles. And the gap isn't as big as people think. The Cowboys gave him everything they can handle without Dak Prescott earlier this year, and they play on Christmas Eve. What a gift that is. Christmas Eve and that 
that group of games got moved from Sunday to Saturday. We get to watch that one. And if they have OBJ at AT AT&T Stadium, wow. And in the playoffs, if they cross paths again. So we'll see what happens. Let's take a break. We'll rip through some of the other matchups for week 10 of the 2022 NFL season. We'll do that next here on PFT Live presented by Google Pixel. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.